Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, and today we're going to talk about UFC Vegas 78, Vicente Luque versus Rafael Dos Anjos, and it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You got one of the most dangerous fighters in the welterweight division, Vicente Luque, a guy that can get the fight done on the feet with his knockout power, with his calf kicks on the ground, with his nasty darsh choke, his anaconda taking on the legend, the future Hall of Famer, Rafael Dos Anjos, a man who has so many accomplishments across two weight classes, won the belt at 55s, has beat multiple top contenders at 70s. So this is a hell of a main event. And without further ado, let's get right down to business. So main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We got Vicente Luque. He's 21-9-1, taking on RDA, Rafael Dos Anjos, who's 32-14. and 14. And currently, they got it. Rafael Dos Anjos, minus 130. The comeback on Vicente Luque is plus 110. So great fight. Uh, amazing fight. So... Lots of questions on the Luque side. Reason being is a report came out that dude had brain bleeding. Dude had a brain hemorrhage. Now, I know he's been cleared by a doctor. He's been cleared by a neurologist. I'd like to know what that doctor's uh, name is. Is the doctor's name Silva? Is the doctor's last name Oliveira? But in all seriousness, although he was cleared, and I know I'm not a doctor, the fact that a dude had brain bleeding, that that's that's a red flag no matter how you cut it no matter how you slice it but at vicente luque's best i mean the dude's got one of the best left hooks in the business and i'm not even just talking about in the ufc like even before he fought in the ufc the guy knocked out tiago maheta santos on the regional scene his left hook is probably right up there with like paul daly and whoever you think has the best left hook vicente is right up there also, the calf kicks. His calf kicks are absolutely disgusting. You start to shoot a sloppy shot on a guy like Vicente, and he's got one of the best uh, front headlock series in the welterweight division. Nasty darsh choke, nasty anaconda, and it's going to take a special individual if that stuff gets locked in to survive something like that. And then on the other side, with RDA, I mean, what can you say about this guy? How long has this guy been a top contender for? I mean, when you scroll back through his record, I mean, this guy was out here on big win streaks all the way back in 2013, fought Habib in 2014, you know, then won the belt in 2015. And guys, it's, it's 2023 and he's still a top contender. It's pretty crazy, man. Um, and from time to time, like you start to sleep on a guy like RDA and, and he will surprise you. Like I know he's getting up there in age and whatnot. You know, how old is he now? He was born in 1984. So he's 38 years old. He'll turn 39 in October. But man, from time to time, like you start to think the guy's getting over the hill and look at the numbers he put up against Moicano. And I know for a fact that uh, Moicano, you know, took the fight on a couple days notice, but still. That's still, that's not like some, like they picked some guy out of the crowd and Dos Anjos went out there, got a knockdown in that fight, uh, landed close to 150 significant strikes plus five takedowns. So he can put up the kind of numbers that we like. And then on the other side with Vicente, uh, his career best was, I believe when he took on Barbarena, man, that was, if you want to see a war, go check out Vicente versus Brian Barbarena, man. 
I mean, Vicente put up 163 significant strikes and went out there and got the stoppage in, in the third round. So Vicente is a very dangerous guy. The issue with Vicente is that for all, you know, the positives he has offensively, you know, the guy's such a potent finisher, he's very, very hittable, right? And that's not just something we saw in his last fight, you know, against Jeff Neal, but even, like I said, the Barbarena fight, the second Nico Price fight, a lot of these fights are kind of life and death. And I'm curious if that last fight against Neil was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. And the reason I say that is, I mean, not just because he f got face planted, it's because it's like, dude had brain bleeding. <laughs> like, and I, that's not a laughing matter, but I'm just saying that's, it, that's such a red flag to me. Under normal circumstances, you know, if, if I got that plus 160 on Luke, like some of y'all got, okay, I, I understand. But here closer to the pick em price, I have to go with RDA. I mean, it, it's just such a red flag to me. A dude has brain bleeding and he's coming back. I know, like I said, I know he was cleared and maybe it's a non-factor. Maybe it doesn't even make a difference, but I just, I just can't side with someone that went through something like that. I just can't. Um, so I'm gonna go with RDA here. Now, I do think Luke obviously has passed the victory. Of course he does. I mean, so I talk about his calf kicks, and usually, you know, an orthodox fighter will only attack calf kicks on another orthodox fighter. Y'all know RDA is southpaw, but, I mean, as you saw in Vicente's last fight against Jeff Neal, who's also a southpaw, Vicente doesn't discriminate. He'll, he'll, he'll attack that calf on RDA. Zero hesitation. You know you got to look out for that left hook. You know you got to look out for that, that overhand right. If Rafael Dos Anjos want to, wants to come out here and implement that wrestling game plan, kind of like Bilal did, and firstly, Bilal did not just wrestle uh, Luca. He he was hurting him badly with body kicks too. Um, if you know, you know. Just watch that fight again, you know. And and, and, let, and let me talk about this Corey Sanhagen fight for a second because people were like, "Well, how could you criticize it? Do you want him to stand up and take unnecessary damage?" No, I never said anything about him having to stand up with Rob Font, but maybe like posture up and, and do some damage. And it's easy to say, you know, not being the guy that was in there. But like people were like, well, when Habib did it, no one complained. Uh, do not ever, do not ever compare that Corey Sanhagen fight to a Khabib fight. Never do that. Habib used to posture up and throw ground and pound from the heavens. Watch that Michael Johnson fight. Watch what he did to Poria. Watch what he did to Gaethje. Don't ever compare that Corey Sanhagen fight to, to a Khabib fight, ever. Habib did damage. And the thing that we criticized in that Sanhagen fight was not the fact that he was taking him down. I'm all for it. And and no one's criticizing Corey Sanhagen's IQ or his dominance. Not at all. Not even one bit. It's the fact that you put up Woodley numbers. <laughs> it was 43 significant strikes combined in five full rounds. That's bullshit. You know, like, and again, it's easy to say as someone that's not the guy that's in there, right? But I just know if I drove those four hours, paid a couple hundred bucks plus gas, you know, you look forward to two exciting strikers going at it. I would have been so fucking pissed. So, you know, Ariel gets on his high horse and is like, how dare the Nashville crowd boo? Well, they fucking paid their hard earned money to see a real fight. And again, it's not about telling Sanhagen, hey, you should have stood with him. That's that's not what we're saying here. I'm, I'm not saying you should have stood with him. I'm saying, like, do some damage posture up and, and give me something go for submission attempts yeah he did in the fifth round like so and again you know a lot of blame has to be put on rob font too because he was just content to play off his back he couldn't stuff a single leg to stay, save his life 
and you got to figure when they're in there, you know, Rob did have a nice butterfly guard and maybe it was just hard to hard to control. I don't know what the deal is, but yeah, I think the criticism was warranted there. And uh, Corey Sanhagen, now he's going to have to win another fight or two before he gets a title shot. But back to this, if Rafael wants to come out here and implement the Bilal game plan, again, it's not just the wrestling. One thing Bilal did really nicely was the body kicks. Uh, he hurt Vicente with the body kicks. RDA, he's a southpaw. That means that the body kick is going to go directly to the liver. I think that that's going to be a huge weapon for RDA in this fight. Start to mix in that body kick, start to hurt him a little bit. Then you mix in the entry to the takedown. And I don't think you're going to submit him or anything, but you can accrue some top control. It's just on the feet is where Vicente is so dangerous offensively. So, yeah, you know. But again, back to the brain bleeding. I cannot pick a dude that has that, you know, just had brain bleeding coming back, even if he got cleared. I just can't. So I'm going RDA in the main event. Co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division. We got Cub Swanson. He's 28 and 13. Taking on Hakeem Dawadu, who's 13 and 3. And currently they got it. Hakeem Dawadu, minus 210. The comeback on Cub Swanson is plus 180. So, shout out Cub Swanson. I mean, legend of the sport, a guy I grew up watching. I mean, ever since back in the WEC, guy, I mean, he was known for that beautiful destruction. Even some of his early UFC fights, man. I mean, that fight with Dennis Seaver, he hit him with a nasty judo throw. And then just his punches and bunches. And he's a legendary fighter. I mean, what can I say? I, I love me some Cub Swanson. And Hakeem Dawadu is the guy that's he's trying to make a name for himself, right? He's been kind of hit or miss, but granted, he's fought some really tough competition, you know, went the distance with some really tough guys, only 32 years old. And he already had like a five-fight win streak inside the octagon at one point. And now it's kind of bounce back season. So it's just one of those things where Cub Swanson is 39 years old. He turns 40 later this year, and we're not dealing with you know, a heavyweight. We're dealing with the featherweight division. You know, he tried his little stint down at Bantamweight. We saw how that went. And, and when you do these late career weight class switches, it's just, it's just not a good look. And just more importantly, despite how good Swanson is or was, you know, like I said, the hand speed, the combinations, the beautiful destruction. He, he even is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, believe it or not. I just think that, you know, we're at that point now where now he's going to start losing the guys that he would have once beat, you know? And I think Hakeem is going to have a little bit of size on him. I think that Hakeem is going to be a little bit faster, a little bit meaner, no pun intended. And, and I think Hakeem's going to come out here and beat the legend. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> to put it simply, I'm considering a bet on Hakeem Dawadu in the spot. I mean, like... This is your chance to come out here and beat a legend. Like Cub Swanson, you got to be grateful for what he's accomplished in the sport, all the memories he's given us. I mean, we're talking about a guy that back in the day, he beat Dustin Poirier. Back in the day, you know, beat Jeremy Stevens. I know Jeremy Stevens got the most losses in UFC history, but still, at the time, Jeremy was on a hot streak. We're talking about a guy in Cub Swanson that knocked out Charles Dubronx Oliveira in the first round. We're talking about a guy that, faced jose aldo back in 2009 now granted he got knocked out in eight seconds with a flying knee but still 
this is the kind of legend we're dealing with a guy who has been fighting the who's who since i mean 2009 is well over 10 years ago you know so i mean tip your cap to a guy like cub swanson like i said grew up watching him nothing bad to say about him it's just you know my boy turns 40 later this year so it's just one of those things where you know father time evolution of the sport circle of life all that so i'm gonna go hakeem dawadu here to you know, I want to say upset, but he's a fucking minus 210 favorite. He's not upsetting, but, you know, upset the fans, you know, and and beat a legend. Get that big name on his resume. So, yeah, let's go Hakeem Dawadu in this spot. Featured bout in the 205-pound division. So, before I do that, my buddy Abu Dhabi asked a question. Has uh, Dawadu ever been dropped? Yes, he has. Um, I'm not sure if in the UFC. I know in... in um, World Series of Fighting, now known as the PFL. I know he got hurt really badly and wobbled there. Let's see if he's been dropped in the UFC. Yeah, actually, in that debut, he got dropped by Danny Henry, like, right off the bat. So, yeah, Hakeem Dawudu has been dropped, and he has been stopped before. But um, I think that that's Cubs' only chance here. And it's a good chance. I mean, Cubs' power's the last thing to go. But, man, Cub was a really, really fast guy in his prime. And I know for a fact he's slowing down. I know for a fact that... If he faces a little bit of adversity here, you know, the willingness to to battle through it might not be there as much as as it once was, right? And also the leg kicks destroyed him last fight. You know, for a fact, Hakeem and his team watched that and probably took note, you know. So don't be surprised to see a a, a leg kick heavy game plan by Hakeem Dawadu in this spot. But featured bout. <laughs> In the 205-pound division, we got Khalil Roundtree. He's 11-5, taking on Chris Dacus, who's making his light heavyweight debut. He's 12-6. and six. Currently, they got it. Khalil Roundtree. Well, it just depends where you look. Bet online saying minus 170. Khalil come back on Chris Dacus, plus 150. Other spots got Khalil minus 210 with a comeback on Dacus at plus 170. So a couple narratives. I mean, Dacus dropping to 205. Now, this is not his first time fighting at 205. It's just his first time fighting at 205 in the UFC. He's fought at 205 outside the UFC back in the day. And I believe he might be undefeated at 205. So he's got a good history there. And he was one of the smaller heavyweights. But similar to Bozer last week, I kind of feel like what made Dacus, you know, kind of good at heavyweight minus the last couple fights was that you know, him being the smaller guy, he had a big speed advantage over some of these some of these older guys he was fighting, like Shamil, like Alexi Olenek and all that, right? But as soon as he fought, you know, some more athletic guys, he got destroyed. So the jury is kind of out on Chris Dawkins. Like, was he even that good to begin with? Or was he just simply fighting guys that were on their way out? But what he did bring to the table was very, very fast hand speed. And I know we've heard for years he's got this jujitsu black belt. We haven't seen it in action, but I mean, I believe it just based off like his brother also being a black belt. We see his brother always going for dar strokes and stuff like that. But, you know, we've never really seen Chris implement that ever. So this would be a good time to bust it out, right? We just don't know how good his takedowns are or anything like that. And with Khalil, what we know is on his best day, I mean, He's one of the scariest guys in the UFC. But on his worst day, he's a guy that can lose to 
guys like Marcin Prachnil, right? So we just don't know, you know, if uh, if Khalil woke up on the wrong side of the bed, if Khalil got into a fight with his girlfriend the night before the fight, if Khalil simply doesn't feel like fighting, he might pull a little stun. He might lay an egg. But on Khalil's best day, oh, my God, one of the fastest, most devastating strikers in the light heavyweight division. I mean, let's let's talk about that last fight with Dustin Jacoby. All people focus about, all people put focus on is how, you know, it might have been a robbery, how, you know, Jacoby should have won that fight or whatnot. Let, let's take the result aside. Let's just talk about what happened in that fight. Khalil was competitive for three straight rounds with uh with Jacoby. And Jacoby's a, you know, a former glory kickboxer. So that just kind of shows the level he's on. And then when he kind of fights someone that's like a step down, like the way he treated Carl Roberson, the way he treated Modestus Bukowskis, the way he treated Eric Anders, like, holy shit, he's scary sometimes. So, I mean, this guy shows up at his best, and I think he's knocking out Chris Dawkins in the first round. This guy, like I said, had a bad weight cut. His girlfriend's giving him shit the night before. He didn't get a good night's sleep. Then who knows, right? But Khalil at his best, he covers his price tag and then some. So I think he's got momentum on his side. I think Doc is coming off three knockout losses in a row. His confidence has to be down in the dumps. And this is a desperate move going out at 205 because, like I said, he had a big speed advantage at, at, um, at heavyweight. At 205, he no longer has a big speed advantage. So let's see if... Dacus tries to mix it up a little bit. Are we going to see that black belt we've been hearing about? You know? Um, I got to go Khalil here. At, at both of their best, I think Khalil owns this guy at, at his best. It's just, again, you know, I keep bringing it up. The times this guy has lost, you know, besides, you know, when he's fought some top guys. But, like, you know, the Andrew Sanchez fight, stunt. Tyson Pedro fight, stunt. Mikhail Oleksandr fight, stunt. Marcin Prachnil fight, epic stunt. But then when this guy's at his best, like that sidekick to the knee against Bukowskis, but even prior to that, he was destroying him. What He beat Carl Roberson like Carl Roberson stole something. You know, didn't Carl Roberson recently get arrested for stealing something? He, Khalil treated Carl Roberson like, like Carl was the guy that stole whatever Carl stole, you know, from him. Like, holy shit. And the Jacoby fight, like I said, take how you scored it, put how you scored it aside. The fact that he was that competitive, with a striker of that caliber, I think it speaks volume. So I'm going to go Khalil Roundtree to knock Chris Dacus out in the first round. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Pollyanna Vienna. She's 13 and 5, taking on Yasmin Lucindo, who's 14 and 5. Currently, they got it. Yasmin Lucindo, minus 180, the comeback on Pollyanna Vienna is plus 155. So. Good fight. Uh, Lucindo, she made her debut against Yeragui, and man, that was a hell of a fight. The only reason that didn't win fight of the night was because Nate Landwehr and David Onamo was right after it, and, you know, those guys went ham, you know? So had that not been on the card, I mean, without a doubt, Lucindo and Yeragui would have been fight of the night, and a lot of people were asking, like, why was that fight on the main card? Well, once you watched it, you understood why. And then her next fight, she comes out there and she beats this dude named Brogan and destroyed Brogan. Four takedowns, doubled her up on strikes. I mean, did exactly what she needed to. And I think we also forget that Lucindo's just a kid. 
She was born in 2002. Just think about that for a second. 2002. Jesus Christ, man. That means she's 21 years old. That means that she's only been able to legally buy an adult beverage for a few months. She's just a kid. And for a kid, this is about to be her 20th pro fight. Pretty damn seasoned kid. Pollyanna Vienna, someone that's been paying her dues in the UFC a long time. Long, long time. I mean, not that long, but long. You know, uh, since when? Since 2018, which sounds like it hasn't been that long, but, man, the years fly by. It's already been half a decade that she's been in the UFC. And even prior to the UFC, she knocked out Amanda Ribas in the first round on her regional scene. So, you know, Pollyanna, but what she's mainly known for is she takes the back. She's nasty. She's got some good chokes and great arm bars off her back. You know, she hit um, Mallory Martin and Emily Whitmire with them back to back, which I mean, that is soft competition, but she treated them like soft competition. So you love to see it. And then the Jin Frey fight, soft competition, but she treated her like soft competition, knocking around in under a minute. So you love to see it. Where we've criticized Vienna in the past is she fights with that chin straight up in the air. You know, she's, I like to say she's got the tall man's defense. She's only 5'5". Five five. She's short, but she fights with that chin straight up in the air. That's why someone like Hannah Cyphers was able to go out there and beat her by decision, you know, back in 2019. Um, but it seems like she's getting more comfortable inside the octagon, and it wouldn't surprise me if she had a little bit, like, kind of too much vet savvy for Yasmin. But I do think Yasmin Lucindo has, you know, kind of the brighter ceiling here. It's just, can you trust her, you know, at 21 years old against, you know, a seasoned vet at this point? That, that's the big question. And, and to take it a step further, it's it's minus 180, you know. It's not like we're dealing with a pick em. It's not like we're dealing with dog odds. We're dealing with minus 180. So you better be pretty fucking sure that she's the real deal right now. Not that she's going to be the real deal in five years, that she's the real deal right now. You better be pretty damn sure. And I'm not pretty damn sure, so I have no idea. Uh, I'll pick Lucindo, but by, by a, you know, not by a wide margin. I mean, Pollyanna could be live here. I really don't know. High variance fight. So, you know, in those situations, I normally go with the dog. But the issue with the dog is we've seen, you know, the holes in her game throughout her career. It's just that certain people she's going to run through. Is Lucindo one of those people? I don't think so. Lucindo seems really, really tough to me. Seems really talented and is experienced for her age. So for that reason, I'm going to pick her, but I'm staying away from it betting-wise. Next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Tafan Chukwi. He's 6-3, and three, taking on AJ Dobson, who's 6-2. and two. Currently, they got it. Tafan Chukwi, minus 130. The comeback on AJ Dobson is plus 110. So it opened a pick em. And um, now, you know, a little bit of action's coming on Tafan. I understand why. I think he's been more impressive. You know, Tafan, I know he's been knocked out his last two fights in a row, but, it was, I mean, it was stiff competition, man. He did really good against Azamat Mirzakhanov, you know, better than anyone else has, and then he got caught in round three. And then he fought Olberg. You guys know Olberg's a fucking problem. So... On one hand, it's like he's fought really tough competition. But on the other hand, how much has, you know, the damage he took diminished his chin and his confidence, right? But on the other side, Dobson, 
I'm not impressed with Dobson at all. Dobson's first round or bust. And the two UFC fights he's had have gone past the first round. And he's busted, you know? He's a big athletic guy. Tafan's coming off two knockout losses, so Tafan could get chinned. But if Tafan doesn't get chinned, I mean, I think Tafan's gonna gonna school this guy, especially past round one. That's just the big thing. Does it get past round one? And either guy could win in round one, to be fair. But that's AJ Dobson's best chance here. First round knockout. But I'm gonna go Tafan. I think Tafan's a lot better. I think he's a big step down in competition. And uh, hopefully uh, his chin holds up. Excuse me one second. So next up, also in the middleweight division, we got Josh Fremd. He's 10-4, and four, taking on Jamie Pickett, who's 13-9. and nine. Currently, they got at Josh Fremd, minus 350. The comeback on Jamie Pickett is plus 285. So, you know, Jamie Pickett, man, he's a fade. Just to put it lightly, no disrespect. Because, I mean, look, he's a big athletic guy. And I don't think that, like, his fighting skills are that bad per se. I just think that, you know, mentally he's lacking something. I don't know what it is, but he just doesn't quite put it together when he's in there. When times get tough, he does not rise to the occasion. Fremd, on the other hand, I've always liked Fremd even since his regional days. Like, you go back and you watch some of Frem's regional fights, and man, man, he's got some brutal KOs. And I bet on him his last two fights in a row as well. Treshawn fight was going our way until it wasn't, and then the Sadriquez dumas fight. I mean, I think I got Frem like plus 180, plus 190 there. I think that's one of the best bets of the year. So there's a spot where early going could be, you know, kind of tight, but Frem is just so much tougher. Frem got that dog in him. Frem wants to be here. Frem has a future, you know. I think Frem's going to kind of chop him down with calf kicks a little bit, get him frustrated. What you got to look out for with Frem is he does have a bit of that tall man's defense. You know, the guy is what, 6'4"? I think he's actually 6'5". He's got the 77-inch reach. He's a big boy. Jamie's a big boy, too. Look, Jamie, Jamie's athletic, but, like, no guy that got stopped in the first round by the Beverly Hills Ninja and and um, Charles Bird is sticking around in the UFC, period. So I know the price sucks on Frem, but for Frem to lose this fight, it's going to take a stun of epic proportions, which he's done before. <laughs> I know you all saw the Treshawn fight, but. Pickett's on his way out, man. Um, and Pickett's confidence has to be down to the dumps as well. You know, three straight finish losses. Fremd won his last fight in spectacular fashion. Now he knows he belongs here. I think that momentum and confidence is going to carry over. And I think he's going to finish Jamie Pickett. So I'm going to go Josh Fremd. Now... Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Marcus McGee. He's 7-1, taking on J.P. Bays, who's 9-5. Currently, they got it. Marcus McGee at minus 360. The comeback on J.P. Bays is plus 285. So this price sucks. <laughs> um, so J.P. Bays, 
moving up to 35s for this one. You know, he's been bouncing up and down between the two weight classes, between flyweight, between bantamweight. Hasn't had success at either at this level. Gets dropped every single fight. But if you got to give him, you know, some credit, he does have some decent offensive grappling. He is dangerous early. Um, he mounted Montel Jackson like one minute into their fight, you know? So on the mat early, that's where you that's where you look out, right? And it's backs up against the wall. I mean, this is the last fight on his contract. This is his last chance. And Marcus McGee, very, very impressive UFC debut. Destroyed Journey Newsome. But, you know, Journey Newsome's nothing special. But JP buys is nothing special either, you know? So but the one time Marcus McGee did lose was a first round submission. If JP's gonna win this fight, that's exactly how it's gonna be. A first round submission. But I'm not in the business of picking JP Baez to win UFC fights, but this price is terrible. I'd love to fade JP Baez. It's just minus 360 on an unproven guy. I do think Marcus McGee is going to be a little too physical for him, a little too much confidence, but I mean, if JP submits him early, I, you can't act surprised. This price is terrible. <laughs> so, but I'm still going to go Marcus. I mean, if you can survive this early going, I mean, JP, he literally gets dropped every single fight. I mean, let's see. So, interestingly enough, in two of his TKO losses, the opponents weren't counted with knockdowns. So, Joby Sanchez on Contender Series, and Joby Sanchez, that's a soft opponent. No disrespect, but, like, he washed out the UFC easily, and he he finished JP Baez. On contender series and actually i'm wrong uh cody durden was credited with a with a knockdown so yeah so jp has officially been knocked down in every ufc fight and total eight times in three fights shout out to my dog cody durden officially ranked number 15 in the world you love to see it got that dog in him and all y'all that were talking all that shit after the iori fight because you know he was trying to be a little funny and made some you know some funny comments that maybe he shouldn't have said but like people were trying to make it sound like something that it wasn't now, now that he's on a four-fight win streak and won five of his last six, now, now, now you're his biggest fan. Fuck off. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I'm, I'm glad that people are realizing what I've been saying since day one. Cody's got that dog in him. Cody is a real dog. And make controversy asking me is Durden still on for Bruno Silva? Fuck yeah, he's still on for Bruno Silva. Like I said, flyweight BMF man. For this guy to have a fight booked in September against Bruno Bulldog. And then step up on two weeks' notice to go fight the best UK flyweight on planet Earth, Jake Hadley, and destroy him. You know, <laughs> win you know fourteen minutes of that fight. Tip your cap, bro. What, what a dog! The only way that he's not going to fight Bruno. So tomorrow he's got an MRI, you know, to check to make sure that arm is all good from that fucking disgusting armbar he survived. He says he feels fine, but he's got to just get this MRI just to make sure. Then they send the results to the UFC doctor. And as long as he gets cleared, he's going to show up to fight Bruno Bulldog in September. So as far as Cody's concerned, he's fighting Bruno Bulldog in September. It's just up to you know the doctor to clear him now or not. And I'm, I'm pretty confident he's going to get cleared. So, yeah. But back to JP Bays. I mean, 
I think that JP's skills aren't as bad as people say. Like I said, he's pretty dangerous on the mat. He's got a little sneaky pop in his punches too. And he's fighting with a big heart. You know, he went through a lot of personal shit, which like, listen, anyone that goes through that, it's not just him. A lot of people like, man, uh, my heart goes out to you. Cause I, you know, we, all of us as men know what it's like, right? Whether it happened to us in high school or whether it happened to you like JP as a grown ass man, like we've been there. So, you know, just as men, you know, we tip our cap to him and it'd make us feel good to see JP Bias go out there and, you know, get a finish and have that moment on the mic. And, you know, you love to see a good comeback story. So yeah, I'll be happy for him if he wins, but it's just kind of tough to pick him with what we've seen with the difference in confidence. And, but it's also hard to lay that kind of price on Marcus McGee. He's completely unproven. I mean, what's he proven? proved he, that he can beat Journey Newsom. I mean, if you're a UFC fighter and you still haven't figured out how to beat Journey Newsom yet, then there's the issue, right? So he showed he can beat a bottom-level guy. Now let's see if he can beat another bottom-level guy. So, And I did see JP Bies in Atlanta uh, when PFL came through. I saw him like backstage. Kid was looking pretty jacked, you know? So he's going to... I don't think the size is going to be an issue at 35s. I think he'll make the... I mean, I think that... You'll look fine for the weight class. It's just, you know, when you when you set a record for most knockdowns received in bantamweight history, and you get finished pretty much every single fight, it's just kind of hard to back you, right? But, you know, put all the logic aside. I'd like to root for him. I'd like to see him win. Just you know, you love like I said, you love a good comeback story. The guy's been through a lot. It'd be nice to see him get his arm raised, just like you know Walt Harris, right? Like it'd be nice to see him get his arm raised too. You know, just as a human, you know, you feel you feel for guys that have been through shit like that. And, you know, they both went through obviously completely different things, but both, you know, tragedies. And you want to you want to see guys like that have a feel good moment. So, you know, I'll be rooting for JP, but I think Marcus is a little bit too physical, has a little bit too much confidence for him. And I think he's a big favorite for a reason. Um, I'm just not going to lay a price like this on him, period. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Terrence McKinney. He's 13 and 6. Taking on Mike Breeden, who's 10 and 5. Currently, they got it. Terrence McKinney minus 290. The comeback on Mike Breeden is plus 230. Shout out to uh, Nazim Sadikov for cashing that bet against Terrence McKinney, you know, a couple weeks ago. Like, if you want to beat Terrence McKinney, I mean the blueprint, it's simple on paper. It's just about can you execute it, right? And that blueprint is get me past round one. Can Mike Breeden get me past round one? That's the big question. Because after round one, Terrence McKinney completely falls apart. I think it's a mental thing. I think it's one of those things where he's kind of a schoolyard bully, right? He's athletic. He's physical. And he's got some skills early. But he's got that bully mentality where if he can't just run through you, then he breaks. And you can fence grab, schmence grab me all you want on that Nazim fight. Dude, Terrence was on his way out in that fight. Fence grab or not. Like what you think had the fence grab not happened that Terrence was going to win that fight? Stop. Terrence doesn't win fights that go past round one. You know that. I know that. Look me in the eye with a straight face. and Tell me Terrence is going to win a fight that goes past round one. Watch him win round two now. The thing with Breeden is oh, he's just so unathletic. And he's just... Like, I don't think his skills are bad. I don't think he's like um, like a pussy or anything. No one in the UFC is. But I'm just saying, like, 
I don't think that he's going to take a knee for anybody, but he's been finished in the first round more than once. I'm not just talking about the Alex Hernandez fight. I'm also talking about on the regional scene. Um, Mike Breeden is the kind of guy that Terrence McKinney finishes in the first round. That's why Terrence McKinney is a minus 300 favorite in the spot. The issue is you can't trust Terrence because should this fight go past the first round, all bets are off the table. Terrence is untrustworthy. Terrence is a flake. Terrence is a fraud, but Terrence is an athletic specimen. And for five minutes, he's hell on wheels. And those five minutes should be enough to get Mike Breeden out of there. But should Mike Breeden survive these five minutes, could create a nice little live betting opportunity where you get an even better number than you see right now. Because, I mean, plus 240 sounds pretty good against a guy that's KO or bust. It's just the package you're dealing with in Breeden is completely unathletic, slow, doesn't really belong in the UFC. Regional guys are finishing him easily. But on the flip side, he is a tough guy. That You saw that fight with Natan Levy. Very, I mean, Breeden showed a lot of heart in that fight, man. And while I think that Natan Levy is more skilled than Terrence, I don't think that Natan is as dangerous as Terrence, if that makes sense. I think Terrence is very dangerous for five minutes. I mean, look at the guys that Terrence has beat. Frivola, top 15 guy. Um, Ziam, on a hot streak right now, right? But both those wins came in like under two minutes. I got Frivola in a rematch, and I got Ziam in a rematch because the blueprint is established. Get me, get me to the five-minute and one-second mark, you know, the beginning of round two, and the chances are pretty fucking high you win this fight. It's just, can you trust Breeden to do that? I'm not sure. So, yeah, I got Terrence McKinney via first-round finish. But like I said, if Breeden can just be just show some grit, show some dog, and you start seeing Terrence, you know, pull his typical stunt might be a good live betting opportunity might be not will be might be so just keep your eyes peeled next up in the featherweight division we got francis marshall he's seven and one taking on isaac dulgarian who's five and oh currently they got it francis marshall minus 170 to come back on isaac dulgarian plus 145 good fight really good fight between two prospects you know um francis marshall you know, he's just a kid, man. Um, how old is this guy? Like 23 or something? 24, yeah. Just a kid. And uh, I've been pretty impressed with him for the most part. You know, on Contender Series, he went out there, put up the kind of numbers I like. You know, 110 significant strikes with six takedowns. Beautiful. UFC debut. It was kind of iffy until it wasn't, you know. That knockout was beautiful. And if that's all we remember, then, oh, man. Good shit, but my dog's barking, so I think uh, Isaac Bulgarian might be live. If Oscar's barking, that might mean something. But like, um, but that last fight with William Gomez, man, Gomez kind of outclassed him a little bit there. I don't know how that was a split decision. Um, but Gomez is also a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical, and was maybe kind of flying under the radar in that spot. And the thing with Bulgarian is, so I heard people compare him to Terrence McKinney just because. You know, this guy's five wins, all first-round finishes, and then you look at his amateurs, all first-round finishes, but you can't compare him to Terrence McKinney because it hasn't been proven yet that Dulgarian breaks should a fight go past round one. It's been proven time after time after time that Terrence breaks after round one. I mean, look at contender series against Sean Woodson. Look at just any time he's been past round one in the UFC. 
Terrence, it's tried and true. You get him past round one, and chances are he's going to fall off a cliff. Whereas Dulgarian, yes, he's only won fights via first round finish, but there's no proof that he falls off a cliff after round one. There just isn't. Um, I'm not saying that that's not going to happen. I'm just saying that until we see that, we can't plan our flags and we can't jump to conclusions. Even though prediction podcasts are all about jumping to conclusions. I mean, we're making predictions, right? So technically we are jumping to conclusions, but y'all get my point. Like, I don't know for a fact that that Dulgarian is just going to, you know, cardio gas or fall off a cliff or break mentally after round one. We just don't know. And I mean, based on his wrestling background, I'd say he probably is fine. I mean, he seems like a really tough guy, and it's not his fault that none of these guys could last more than a couple minutes with him. So I see this being a good fight. This is one where I don't know because we just don't know how good either guy truly is. France is a, is a little bit more proven at this level, you know, won a contender series fight, won a UFC fight, you know, had a hard-fought split decision loss that last time. But when I say hard-fought split decision loss, the numbers he put up was terrible. 15 total strikes landed. Uh, 15 significant strikes landed, excuse me, in three rounds. That's horrible. That's awful. Now, a kid that young, 24 years of age, that doesn't mean that that shit's going to change here. Um, it just means that that I don't know what to expect from him. So, and then and then with Bulgaria, all the questions of what happens if a fight goes past round one, we don't, we just don't know. We just don't know. So I, I really don't know. So I'll go Dulgarian. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with the dog here, but it's not a confident pick. I just really don't know. It's like two like really bright prospects meeting at a good point in their career, relatively same amount of experience. You know, Francis, a couple more fights, not too many more. But I talk about it all the time. Guys with 10 or less pro fights, you'll, you'll be seeing these huge leaps every single time they fight. So... I expect the same from both these guys. I just expect it to be a really good fight. And if one guy can dominate, credit to them. Yeah, I just, uh, hold on a second. Fucking spider here. Gonna kill it with my bare hand. Don't don't ever interrupt half the battle, you son of a bitch. I'll go Dulgarian, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not that confident on it. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got Josh Parisian. He's 15 and 6, taking on Martin Boudet. Who's 12 and 1. Currently, they got it. Um, Martin Boudet, minus 190. The comeback on Josh Parisian is plus 165. So, who, who was it on Twitter that tweeted out um, Boudet equals Boutet? I thought that was the funniest shit I've ever seen. Boudet's fights are not fun to watch, but what he does is he is really good at pinning guys up against the fence killing the clock kind of wearing you down using his size and in that last fight against collier i mean that was a big step in the in the right direction in terms of strikes landed you know dude landed 145 total 98 significant and we know these counters have no idea what they're watching so it could have actually easily been over 100 significant so step in the right direction parisian i've never been impressed with parisian man Parisian's the guy that got his face humped by Dante Elmez. Y'all remember that? Um, Parisian got owned by Parker Porter. Parisian went life and death with Roki Martinez. Parisian got knocked down by Alan Badeau. Parisian got outstruck by Alan Badeau. And no disrespect, because actually Parisian seems like a really nice guy. Like, 
he was supposed to fight Walt Harris because it's like, let's set up Walt with an easy win. And when Walt had to pull out, like Parisian, like commented on Walt's page, like, hey, I'm a big fan of yours. I hope like whatever gets sorted and I hope it's nothing serious. And seems like a really nice guy. And also like, I think he had like a panic attack before one of his fights and had to pull out. So, you know, um, you know, as someone who suffered, as someone who suffers, not suffered, but suffers with anxiety, like you might think that, oh, Dan's this confident, charismatic guy, but like you never know what someone's going through. So as someone who's dealt with anxiety myself, I feel for Parisian, man. And, you know, you want to see, you know, someone like that do well. It's just that I think Boudet is going to be able to do what Boudet does, pin him up against the fence, kind of wear him down a little bit, kill the clock, get that kind of 30-27 on two cards, 29-28 on on Adelaide Bird's card, and go out there and win this fight. So I got Martin Boudet. Next up in the strawweight division, we got uh, Montserrat Ruiz. She's 10-2. Taking on Jacqueline Amorim, who's six and one. Currently, they got it. Jacqueline Amorim minus two forty. The comeback on Montserrat Ruiz is plus two hundred five. So, I mean, I think Jacqueline Amorim took a lot of heat for her last fight against Sam Hughes. Some of it unnecessary, but I get it because the price tag was trash, right? Like she was like what minus three hundred, something crazy. So, I get it. She did not cover the price tag, but we got to put context into it. I mean, she basically had a first round submission in that fight. And I hear people talking about how Sam Hughes is this cheater. No, she's not. Was she grabbing the gloves? Yes, but you got to understand. Like, and I'm not. I'm not trying to pull the jujitsu card. Like, oh, I've trained and you haven't. But like, let's just let's just look at this realistically. When you're in a fully locked in rear naked choke, and I speak from experience, you're not thinking about well, what does the ten point must system and the unified rule say? You know, you're not thinking about shit like that. You're thinking, I have half a second to try to fight the hands and, and try to release this grip or I'm going to go to sleep or I might die. Or my eyes might pop out of my fucking head. So for people to sit here and call Sam Hughes a cheater, it was either fight the hands desperately or go to sleep, period. Because that shit was locked in, right? So I don't blame Sam Hughes. I mean, like when you're fighting hands, like I said, <laughs> the last thing on Sam Hughes' mind was, let me look up the unified rules. <laughs> it was, I better fight this fucking choke or I'm going to sleep right here, right now. Period. So she did what she had to do. Now, granted, that was the first time Jacqueline Amarine had ever been past the first round. And, you know, when her jiu-jitsu storm didn't work, she kind of broke a little bit. But she's also young, less than 10 pro fights, trains at a great gym in American uh, top team. So... Now that she knows what it's like to go past round one, there's a chance we can see improvements. There's also a chance she's round one finisher bust. That remains to be seen. We just need a larger sample size. Like with Terrence McKinney, we have a large sample size that this dude goes past round one and nine times out of 10, he's shit out of luck. Whereas Jacqueline Amarim, she's only been past round one, uh, round one once. So I'd cut her a little slack personally. And with Ruiz, the issue with this matchup for Ruiz is Ruiz is one of these hand and arm throw girls, which is a very popular thing in women's MMA. And if it works, it works. Get your head and arm throw to your arm bar. Do it. It's just when you go for a head and arm throw with someone like Jacqueline Amarine, she's going to take your back. 
period. And when she texts her back, she's so dangerous. And I think she's going to take Ruiz's back and choke her out in the first round. So, yeah, uh, I'm going to go Jacqueline Amarim to finish this fight. And listen to my guy, James Watkins. Appreciate you, James. He said, run the likes up, y'all. Big brain energy from this guy every video. I appreciate that. Thank you. And last but not least, in the flyweight division, we got Juliana Miller. She's three and two, taking on Luana Santos, who's five and one. Currently, they got it. Luana Santos minus 160. The comeback on Juliana Miller is plus 140. So Juliana Miller, look, she seems like a like a nice chick. And I like the fact that like when she's on top of these girls, she gets kind of violent out there. The issue is she's just way too green to be in the UFC right now. Kind of think she needs a little bit of work outside the UFC. Super hittable. Now, you want to talk about the tall man's defense? I mean, she's a woman, but she's like 5'7 in the flyweight division. So that's like, that's tall. That's like the equivalent of like a six foot lightweight, right? She keeps that chin straight up in the air. She's got no striking defense. Veronica Macedo, um, who I'm a fan of and I actually met um, in Atlanta for during PFL, super cool chick. Like, she was cool as hell. But man, like, you know, she's a little bit on the smaller side, right? Veronica was out here like landing flush head kicks. So credit to Juliana. She's got a chin on her. She's got toughness on her. But my God, is she hittable? And my God, is her takedown defense terrible? And then the thing with Luana Santos, like kind of like we were talking about with Ruiz, Santos has kind of that judo background where she's going to go for those head and arm throws, which they do work in women's MMA at a high clip. It's just the the, the downside to it is when it doesn't work, you give up your back. And we know Juliana Miller, when she gets on top, she can be mean. So, and in Luana's one loss against Jenna Bishop, that is what happened. You know, she'd give up her back. But credit to Bishop, I think not only is Bishop a black belt, but Bishop's also like a 5-0 and undefeated prospect that we might see on Contender Series or something like that soon. So it wasn't a bad loss by any means in terms of level of competition. So... And Luana, you know, when she settles in the top control, I mean, I've seen her, I've seen her do some pretty cool stuff out there. I've seen Americanas. I've seen her choke women unconscious with guillotines. You know, you know, I love that kind of stuff, right? And I just think she's a little bit more seasoned than Miller at this point. Miller, I really think needs some work on the regionals. Like, I think Miller's got the heart and the will. And I think that if Miller is the bully, she can do well. It's just that. Miller has so many flaws in her game as far as the defensive aspect of things go. And that's where I think she's going to be vulnerable, not just in this fight, but in any fight, honestly. I mean, let's be honest. If you pull up the roster, I mean, who's you can't name me five people that Juliana Miller is going to beat today. Maybe in a couple of years, yes, but today, no. You can't. But I'm not that confident because Luana, you know, she's making her debut. And, you know, longtime listeners of Half the Battle are very aware of what debut stunts are all about, right? Tyler Santos versus Mara Romero Barella. Um, what's the name of the Mexican kid I like? Um, the kid that just beat Lando. Oh, Daniel Zell Huber. His debut against Trey Ogden, like, that wasn't even about Trey Ogden looking like some contender. That was just a debut stunt. So... That's what I'm worried about here is the debut stunt of Luana, you know, just has a, you know, bad anxiety and just doesn't pull the trigger in that debut and just kind of stares at her opponent. Well, then Miller's a live dog here. But 
if Luana fights like she fought on her regionals, then I think she should be the favorite here. So it's just really about, are you going to pull that debut stun or not? That's what it comes down to in my eyes. So I'll go Luana Santos here for the win. So uh, I got a couple minutes before I got to leave to go to jiu-jitsu class. So I'm going to do the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. Then I'm down to answer, do a little brief Q&A. If you all got any questions for me, feel free to leave them now. And then uh, I'm going to go get tapped out. So the fight to watch for UFC Vegas 78. You know what? I'm going to go with the two prospects, Francis Marshall versus Isaac Dulgarian. This is a fight where I literally have no idea what's going to happen. Two bright prospects, less than 10 pro fights, both guys in their 20s, both guys dangerous, both guys talented, both guys hungry to make a name for themselves. I'm very curious to watch this fight and see like who the real prospect is. So for that reason, Francis Marshall versus Isaac Delgarian is my fight to watch. My fighter to watch is Khalil Roundtree. Like I've told you guys already ad nauseum. When this guy is at his best, I mean, he's like a video game level scary like character, man. Like he is one of the most dangerous strikers in the division, does shit that other guys can't do. But when he's not at his best, he'll go out there and lose to Tyson Pedro and Marcin Prachino. So it's like, which clear are we going to get? And I often hate talking about, you know, which version is going to show up because I feel like that discredits the opponent. But with Khalil, it really is which opponent is going to show up. Like, you mean to tell me that Khalil on his best day can't starch Prachino in round one or can't starch Tyson Pedro in round one? I know he can. I know he can starch both of them. And I know on his best day, he can starch Chris Dawkins too. Is he going to show up on Saturday? So for that reason, Khalil is my fighter to watch because I really think on his best day, I think he can be a top 15 guy. On his worst day, he's like a top 100 guy. So let's see which day, uh, you know, let's see which side of the bed he wakes up on on Saturday. All right, Q&A time. My boy Abu Dhabi said coffee time with Albert Durayev. Yeah, but right now I got the full beard. I, I, don't, I don't got the Russian beard, but when I do, I know exactly what you're saying. My boy addicted to combat is in the house. What's up, my guy? I'm about to start hitting the weight room so I can get like you. You know what I mean? Jiu-jitsu is not enough. I got I to gotta hit the iron, too. Um, let's see. What else y'all got? Bahamandes killed the red panty knot. I have no idea what happened. Well, I do have some idea what happened. Did y'all see what Ludovic Klein looked like? <laughs> I bet you and Ludovic Klein pissed in that USADA cup. He burnt a hole in the ground. So, man, hopefully Ludovic's masking agent is on point because Jesus Christ. Hit the, I've never seen Ludovic that fresh in round three, and I've never seen his physique like that. And that's not to make any excuses. I made a bad bet on Ignacio 100%. But, I mean, have you all ever seen Ludovic look like that in round three? Or just physique-wise? Holy shit. Respect, you know? Hopefully he can pass his drug test. Um, some of y'all are commenting on what I said about Corey Sanhagen. Like, yeah, no issues with the grappling, but there was no intent to finish or even land any damage. Exactly. That was my criticism. I never said you had to stand up with Rafa. I never said you had to do shit. It's not my place to tell a fighter what to do. It's just the reason we're booing. Don't get mad at us for being mad. That, you know, we wanted to see an exciting fight. And people were saying like, oh, but that's what Habib used to do. Like, don't, don't, don't ever say some shit like that. Don't, don't ever try me on that bullshit. Habib used to posture up and rain down punches from the heavens. Habib used to break guys and destroy them and, and finish them too. And when he didn't finish them, go watch that Edson Barboza fight and, and look me in the eye with a straight face and tell me that's what, what Corey Sanhagen did. 
you know. Um, Devesh said hello from India. Man, that's so cool, man. Like, well, you know, what a small world because it's like you're so far away, but you're still here with us right now. So that's really awesome that you know someone from India is 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 watching me right now. So much respect, man. Thank you. And I'm a big fan of some some fire Indian cuisine. It has to be authentic though, because I know, you know. Some people claim to have the real Indian cuisine, but nah, but that real Indian homemade cuisine can't go wrong. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Let's see what else. Got Moyes in the house. What up? What up? Um, MMA controversy. What's up? I like that name a lot. Tony Trill says he's going five U on the silent assassin. Um, that's a uh, Vicente Luque, right? I mean, I get it. It's just, you know, dude had brain bleeding, so be careful. Chronic combat. Uh, I'll announce it now. I'm doing their show for the Shevchenko Grasso card. So appreciate y'all being here. And I look forward to talking with y'all then. MMA controversy said Cub nearing BJ Penn territory for him. Just can't pick him. One of my favorite fighters ever, though. Even bet him against Pineda, which, which was electric. I don't know if he's quite BJ Penn territory, but I agree with you. You know, he's at the end of his career. I mean, it is what it is. You know, it happens to all our favorite fighters, right? Um, oh, I forgot to talk about one fight. I forgot to talk about Demond Blackshear and Jose Johnson. My bad. Let me talk about that now. So, bantamweight division. Demond Blackshear is thirteen and five, taking on Jose Johnson, who's fifteen and seven. Um, do they have odds on this yet? I don't see odds on it yet, but I'm assuming Blackshear will be favored here. I love this fight. I fucking love this fight because Jose Johnson's a dude that really, like, when you talk about paying your dues, I mean, not just, like, professionally, but amateur-wise, like, Jose Johnson had, like, damn near, like, 40 amateur fights. And then pro, he had, like, what, like, close to 25 pro fights? So this dude Johnson's paid his fucking dues, and he's fought a lot of guys. And the thing that's good about Johnson or that stands out about him, you know, for a bantamweight, the guy's six feet tall with a 74-inch reach. So he's a big boy. So you shoot a sloppy takedown on him. He's got those long man chokes waiting for you. He's a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. On the feet, super dangerous. Um, the area where Jose Johnson has issues is his takedown defense. You know, he's very content to lay on his back. And, you know, you don't like to see that, right? But he's a seasoned vet. And against the right guy... He's not just going to win. He's going to school them, too. I like Blackshear, though, man. I even said it in his last fight. Like, he shows, like, little flashes, like, of brilliance. And, like, he's a freak athlete. And, like, every UFC fight he's had, we've seen some really good stuff. Even the fight he lost, like, the early going, man. Like, like I said, you see flashes on the feet, on the mat. He's got crazy athleticism. And I think when Blackshear puts it together, he's going to be a problem. So. I'm going to go Blackshear here. All right, guys, I got to go jujitsu now. Thank you all so much. Please hit the like. Please leave me a comment when this is done. Share if you feel so inclined. Really, really appreciate y'all. I'll be in touch with y'all soon. Good luck this weekend. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.